Hi friends, welcome to the Trauma Tapes. I'm Dr. MC McDonald, a PhD trauma researcher and life coach. It is my goal in life to reframe the way that we understand trauma. And I think if we want to understand trauma, we need more stories, more examples, an archive of trauma stories. But not just an archive where someone lays their story down for posterity and walks away, an archive that gives them something back, some attunement, some empathy, a reframe, integration, maybe some little piece of knowledge or understanding so that they walk away feeling like the thing that makes the least sense in their lives makes just a little more sense. This podcast is that archive. I'm here with my sister, Elizabeth Meadows. Each week, we read your letters and give you information and advice about how to understand and demystify your experiences and symptoms so that you can heal without shame. So pull up a chair, grab a coffee, and join us. Okay, welcome to episode 23, I think, of the Trauma Tapes. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? We're in the like mid-20s, that's crazy. I know. We're suffering with some technical difficulties, but I think we've got it worked out. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so Lisa just said she wanted to do uh, to add something from last week. Oh, I have. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yep. I found this really cool thing. Um, you were talking about last week how you recommended an exercise for the letter writer to um, write her story down and change things about it. I think you said like change the. Do four different four perspectives. Different, yeah. Yep. Four different perspectives. Okay. So I was thinking about that and I got this thing in the mail. It's an Amazon summer 2021 reading guide. Okay. And for some reason I let this kick around the house for a couple of days, which is not like me at all. Normally <laughs> I go to the mail and I walk straight to the trash can and throw everything away. Yep. <laughs> so I think it's kind of interesting that this hung around because I, I that's not like me. But I opened to this page and I just thought this was so cool. This author, his name is Chris Whitaker, and the Amazon book editors named his new novel, which is called We Begin at the End, one of the best books of March. Oh, wow. Um, and, and I'll just, I'll read a little bit of this. Um, the book stars a young heroine named Duchess Day Radley. And she's a self-proclaimed outlaw who is feisty and foul-mouthed and who will do anything to protect her baby brother and those she loves. Mm -hmm. So this is an interview with the author and kind of asking about the character and how he came up with it. And this was his answer, which uh -huh. I thought was so cool. He says the inspiration behind the character was the past trauma in his own life. And what had happened to him is that he went to school. He had no qualifications to write. Um, he had always been a big reader. He'd never considered writing, but that changed when he was mugged at age 19. Um, he was stabbed multiple times. And he says, although the doctors stitched me back together again, it was the emotional trauma that was harder to fix. He struggled, unable to focus on anything more than surviving each day. And then he learned of a kind of therapy where you write about the incident only that you change the people involved, the setting, and the outcome. Mm -hmm. And out of nowhere, this heroine appeared on the page. Uh. He describes her as outwardly small and shabby clothes and a cowboy hat. Everything about her screamed victim. And looking back, he says, I realize I felt helpless, so I wrote a girl most people had written off long before she even stood a chance. She's tough because I wanted to be. I felt angry, so she burns with a kind of rage that makes loving her very difficult. I felt alone. 
She doesn't know who her father is and only finding a distant link to a known outlaw when researching her family tree stops her from losing all identity. She's surrounded by characters struggling to outrun the shadow of past events, something that he could relate to. And this character became someone that he checked in with off and on for two, nearly two de- decades. Her story evolved whenever his own life grew hard and I didn't know who else to turn to. So anyway, it goes on to talk about the book a little bit more, but yeah. I just thought like, there's your exercise. Yeah. And out of that exercise, he was able to, um, yeah. you know, start to heal his own trauma Yeah. and he wrote a, you know, best-selling book. I love that. Isn't that cool? And I love that it's a character that's not like, I think we need to, so narrative therapy is a thing. It's a very like well-established method. And I think like we, um, we need to be more open. I love that the character like, wasn't him, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he wasn't trying to write a memoir or an autobiography. It was just like, you know, it's just this other character, but it's healing. It doesn't have to be, you can play with all aspects of the story. Right which is like super cool. And by the way, that's what they're doing. So we talk a lot about like MDMA therapy or ketamine therapy or psychedelic therapy. You don't just like take the drug and like just trip and that's it. (laughs) You go through the story with the clinician in a number of different ways because healing that part of the memory file, the narrative part of the memory file is critical for healing trauma because that's part of the file that got like corrupted. That's so cool. I know. I love that. I I love the idea. I think, well, this might be a stretch, but I think, and I've been thinking about this in terms of other things too, when you are able to like make the character someone other than yourself, it kind of takes the shame out of it too. Oh, totally. Yep. You know? Yep. Cause it's easier to feel compassion. Right. Mm -hmm. I thought that was super cool. And you, you were onto something. I love that. I'm going to always are. (laughs) Well, it's not, I just made up an (laughs) exercise based on the therapy that other people created, but I'm going to read that book now. Cause how cool. Me too. And, and I, I also like, haven't looked him up. Cause I just like, I like the story that I know right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> you don't want to know any of the, <laughs> the reasons he's going to be canceled. Um, I like exactly. the idea too, that it's um, that he's using fiction to heal. Right. Cause it doesn't have to be like narrative therapy can be in a fictional space too. We get so caught up in our little distinctions and saying like, I have to tell the truth. And if I'm not telling the truth, it's not a real story. It's like, no. Okay. That was my, my follow-up. I love that. I love when like the collective unconscious connects and you're like, you start seeing stuff in the world that like you just started talking about, you know what I mean? And it just like pops up and it's in your house. It happens a lot once you're, once you're kind of open to it, I think. Totally. Okay. I have two rewind things really quickly. Number one, we were, I think, uncharacteristically harsh (laughs) in the last um, episode because we felt so strongly for the letter writer. And I just want to say again, we did say this, but I just want to say again, like that we support people in whatever decision-making they choose. We just wanted to mirror back that there's some stuff going on in that relationship. That's not okay. Yeah. (laughs) What? Yeah, you're being very yeah, you're 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 being very kind and diplomatic. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna stick with my harsh reaction. Yeah. No, I mean I don't I'm not walking it back at all. I just want to say that that's why we got so fired up because it's not okay what's happening, what's being done to you is not okay. Second thing, um, we've gotten a couple of like emails and messages about flowers in the attic, which I apparently need to read and watch and oh shit. <laughs> people feel very strong <laughs> about this. <laughs> 
Oh no. Okay. Oops. I forget. No, not in a bad way. It was just like, this is, you have to check this out. Cause it's crazy. They want you to read it. Like they're yeah. just saying, no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> Who's, I can't remember Mom's the author. Gonna haunt you. Mom is going to VC Andrews. Mom's going to get you. Andrews. She's out already Andrews. haunting me. It's fine. VC <laughs> Andrews. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. But it's a movie it's too. Important to read it. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, you read it and you you can tell me. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah. Did you know it's a Don't movie? Stand though? under any trees after you read it. <laughs> oh, that's not a good but, idea. I can't read it now. Do you know it's a movie? No. From 2014 with Heather Graham and Ellen Burstyn, who I saw, and Kiernan Shipka. I saw Ellen Burstyn in a um, restaurant in Manhattan Beach. It's like a Ouija board, like you know. Don't mess with that. I, I don't know. I, I'm sure these people have have valid points, and I, I you know, I, I I am willing to um, try or read anything unless Mom told me not to. <laughs> That's a hard. <laughs> and I'm <no>. afraid. <laughs> You're more afraid she's going to haunt you than that it's going to exactly. be a bad experience. This is like yes, and as it should be. Okay. Um. Sorry, I'm plugging in. All right. Do you are you ready to jump in? Yes. Okay. Okay. So this letter is from traumatized or excuses, question mark. Um, Dear trauma tapes, I have been researching trauma for about a year now. My relationship completely fell apart at the beginning of COVID and I 100% did not see it coming. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, I think, but I was more shocked about the breakup than the pandemic. It was a really, really hard couple of first weeks and I couldn't really get any support from anyone. We also had to keep living together for five months, so that made the split especially tough. Anyway, in reading self-help stuff, I started to see that one of the things in my way is that I have not really processed some of the more traumatic things in my life. This has made me an anxiously attached partner, and this was really difficult for my boyfriend to handle. Reading this stuff initially made me feel so much better. I wasn't alone in my struggle, and it made so much of my actions make more sense. I made my boyfriend give me reassurance all the time, and he was exhausted by it. Even though I'm an adult and have my own job and life and have had it for a while, I became almost completely dependent on him. I couldn't make a decision on my own, even about really dumb and small things like what shirt to wear. Learning that there is an attachment style that includes this stuff made me feel less like a needy freak. Mm. But lately, I'm starting to wonder if I'm just making excuses for myself. Here's the thing. When I look at other people's stories and the examples and some of the things I'm reading, I see big and devastating trauma. People being sold into sex trafficking, parents who beat them, or are so addicted that six and seven-year-olds have to take care of them. People who grow up in such poverty that they can't imagine a future. This is not at all the kind of trauma that I have. In fact, I don't have any childhood trauma at all. I had a very standard upbringing and a normal family. My parents split, but it honestly did not seem like that huge of a deal at the time. Things really started to get difficult at the end of high school and college. I had a string of really upsetting relationships. I was cheated on and verbally abused, and there were a handful of things that I could call sexual assault, but I go back and forth on. There was some really difficult stuff in my friend group at the same time. So many times when I went through something, I was completely alone to process it. I know it sounds like small stuff, but at the time it was really, really overwhelming. 
I didn't have a single tool. And so I just powered through as best as I could. And it worked. I graduated, moved into the city, got a job, and I've been stable since. I have some good friends and my career is right where it should be. But I'm a mess when it comes to romantic relationships. To the point where I am not afraid to, where I am afraid to date as the world opens starts to open back up again. I'm working on things and trying to understand my attachment style. And like I said, when I started to read things, I really thought I had it figured out. But the last few weeks, I keep going back to this question of if I don't have childhood trauma, does this stuff even count? Or am I just making excuses? If it doesn't, how can I find a better way to understand myself? Signed, traumatized or excuses? Oh my goodness. Okay. What do you think? Um, I, you know, I, I think this goes back to, you know, defining trauma and, and what it means. Um, and, you know, I, I, I see a little bit of myself in this letter and that, you know, I, we didn't have childhood trauma. I didn't have childhood trauma that I'm, that I'm aware of, you know, or, or typical childhood trauma, but I was not successful in romantic relationships for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, right? And I'm not saying that I had all the same experiences that this person did, but um, mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? I'm a little confused by this. I mean, okay. I'm. Tra- I have. I'm. I'm just gonna say four things, and then we can talk about all of them. You can okay. be traumatized as an adult. I'll come back to that. Like, yeah. childhood trauma is not the only kind of trauma. It's one kind of trauma. So we can. We'll talk about that in a second. The part of your brain that registers trauma is a lizard. It is as sophisticated as a lizard. We come back to that. (laughs) Okay. We are malleable. So our attachment style is malleable. We need to understand and metabolize that fact because it's a fact, which we'll come back to. And then we need to get beyond the labels. And I think that's where to get some traction here. And maybe this person already has, like, I don't know anything about what, what other work they've done to figure out what it means to be, you know, someone who tends towards, um, an anxious attachment style. We, we need to talk about that more and I'm going to be really fired up about it. So apologies in advance, but okay. Going back to this other thing. So I've had this really strange experience. I know I've talked about this before that like when I started studying trauma, so I picked trauma as a research thing in 2009. And at the time, and then you have these moments in grad school where you have to like advocate for why you're studying that. And at the time, my professors were like, this is a terrible idea. No one's talking about trauma. Everyone knows that trauma memories are planted by therapists traumatic experience is just hysteria. It doesn't exist. Like these are like, again, I know we've talked about this before. These are PhD educated people at Boston university. Right. Right? Sorry. (laughs) But like, (laughs) this is by the way, where Bessel van der Kolk is, is that's his institution. Um, So we've come a really far way in a in a really short period of time. And I'm not just saying that to talk about my own past, but like not that long ago, we did not think that trauma was legitimate. And the reason I'm pointing that out is because that has happened many times in the history of the study of trauma. And 
we have to be very careful that we don't recreate that same thing. Um, So there's two things to say about that. In the time that I've been studying trauma, the idea about where trauma comes from has changed. It used to be prevailing scientific belief that if you had trauma as an adult, that it meant you had to have some initial childhood trauma that wasn't processed. That was sort of like coming back up when you have an overwhelming experience as an adult. And the, the science behind that was that like, look, your brain is basically um, formed and you should have all necessary coping tools to deal with life. And so if you don't, that means there was some something happening in your childhood that you didn't process. And the reason that this is experienced as overwhelming as an adult is because in part of that. And then like I was at the meetings where that was reversed. The science changed. People realized that that's not true. You can have trauma as an adult. And the brain science backs that up because we are less hardwired in the brain than we thought. The reason that that's so important is because it's been used to like to completely discount the experience of people who have trauma that don't fit with the clinical definition. So just to give you one example of how this works um, in, I think it was after the first world war. Yes. They thought like, okay. So it used to be the case that they thought only women could suffer from trauma and they thought it was essentially like a uterine problem. Literally. They thought your uterus wandered all over your body and it needed to be like set back in its place. And that's where they thought trauma came from. Again, like this is the scientific belief. Like (laughs) this isn't like crackpots. This is, this is what the body of psychology thought. And then, um, and biology. And then it was a problem because soldiers started coming back from war with the same symptoms. And so we were like, oh, hold on. This is probably not a uterine problem because they don't have uteruses. So what is the problem? Okay. The source must be shut. This is where the term shell shock comes from this. It must be that like they're exposed to these concussive blasts. And so that kind of messes the brain up and that's, what's causing the symptoms. And then that was the prevailing scientific belief. And then you have all you need is one exceptional case, right? And there are many, there are many soldiers who had the symptoms of PTSD, but didn't, or shell shock, sorry, but didn't, were not exposed to concussive blasts because of where their position was, right? So instead of the science changing around that new fact, those people are diagnosed as having a weak will and they're shamed for their own diagnosis. Wow. And so this was, this has happened many times in the history of the study of trauma, but it happened when we thought that if you, if you showed up with these symptoms as an adult, then it must mean you had childhood trauma because there were people that were showing up with the symptoms as an adult, but didn't have childhood trauma. And so they didn't fit within the clinical scope. And therefore we then shame them and say, whatever you're struggling with right now is your fault. It's your problem. You're failing you're weak in this way, or you're lying about it, right? We just like cast aspersion on that group of people because they don't fit within the clinical scope. And the reason I'm so fired up about this right now is because in the Oprah book, they're kind of talking about it as if it's only that there is only childhood trauma. And in the new Gabor Mate film, it's only childhood trauma that they talk about. Childhood trauma is real. It's important to understand. It's a thing. It is one kind of trauma. Am I making sense? 
makes total well, sense. So you, it is a hundred percent possible to have trauma as an adult. It does not, it doesn't mean you need to go try to find your childhood trauma because you don't remember it. That's what I see a lot of people try to do or like shame yourself for having this strong of a response and try to call it a personality disorder instead of a trauma response. You know, that's, that's not, that's a really not a good way to do that. Maybe you should um, talk about your definition of trauma again. Yeah. So, and this is again, like, so I've adapted this from Robert Solero, but this is also biologically accurate. Trauma is an unbearable emotional experience that lacks a relational home. Unbearable emotions, which are biological experiences that you can't find anyone to relate to properly results in a fragmentation of memory in some sense. And that causes a problem for your brain. And so your brain pushes the the memory forward or locks it away. And then it comes out as symptoms instead of remembering. And so one of the reasons that narrative therapy is so useful is because every time you write about something, even, and especially when you're doing it from an external perspective and making a new uh, like interpretation of it, you're giving space between it and you and realizing that it is something that happened in the past. It's a memory. You're tagging it as a memory instead of just reliving it over and over and over again. But you can have an overwhelming experience when you're 97. Right. And I also just want to say, like, when we do this comparison thing, because this is like a cultural, this is what we do with our stuff right now. We mm-hmm. we say this is worse for me or this, I have bigger trauma because being tra- traumatized has become some kind of strange like social currency. So we feel like we have to have, we have to win, right? At the trauma game or the grief game or whatever. Um and the part of your brain, like that's not only corrosive on a societal level, but it's also the part of your brain that recognizes overwhelm is like the evolutionary equivalent of a lizard. So, you know, when you're like walking on a hiking trail and you see a lizard and it hears you and it just shoots off in one direction or the other, because it can't tell the difference between hiker and, you know, mountain lion that's the part of your brain that's registering trauma. There is no distinction between types of trauma to that part of your brain. Fight or flight doesn't say like, oh, well, this is abandonment only and I'm not actually at bodily risk. It just says danger. Right. And so when we like shame ourselves for like having a biological response, it, it's, it doesn't make any sense, right? That's That's just, that's like shaming yourself for being hungry or tired. We do that too, but like, we know it's ridiculous, you know? And I don't think we talk about that enough because we over-intellectualize stuff. And we think like, well, if I rationally know when I'm not in that moment of like trigger, if I rationally know that I'm not in danger, then why am I having this strong of a response? Well, that's kind of the wrong question. You're having a strong response that has to be taken seriously first and foremost. And if it doesn't, that will show up elsewhere in your life because it means you're turning your alarm system off repeatedly. Right. The more you do that, the more disconnected from yourself you become and the less data you have about your own experience, you know? Right. Yeah. I I mean, it sounds like there are like kind of two things going on in this letter and that the letter writer is looking for what happened to her Mm -hmm. to make her feel the way that she feels. Right. And then she's also kind of found some language that, yeah. Um, might be influencing her current behavior. Yeah. Is that and I, totally. 
And I just like, I'm trying to think of like how to say this. When we, when we link into something that's available to us on the internet, language around attachment style, for example, I think we need to bring like some more humility into that and recognize that buzzwords and sound bites are tiny little reductive pieces of an entire field of study. Yeah. And that people spend their whole lives researching attachment, like PhD psychologists. So if you're pulling a label from the DSM or from Instagram or something like that, and you feel like it resonates with your experience, that's a great starting point, but go to an expert or seven to find out where that path leads, you know, because it's like, (laughs) I just got this visual of like, you're, you come upon like a little space in the forest where there are like 10 paths and you start and you're like, oh, that path looks really good for me. And then you stand at the beginning of the path and then you just run off into the woods. And then you stand there screaming about why didn't I, why didn't I get to the end of the path? Well, you're not even on the path anymore. <laughs> you know? yeah, you walked no. once. I, I picture it like, like you, 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 you see the sign with the arrow that mm-hmm. says go this way. And then you just sit down. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's much better. No, it's right. not better, but um, no, I like that. And I also think, you know, yes, it's important to understand. Absolutely. But you said it beautifully. These people study this yeah. in order to get to this point or, right. or this label. Yeah. But then there's the whole other side of it. Oh, okay. Now what are you going to do with it? Yeah. What are you going to do with the information? And right. that's where working with a therapist with a good therapist is so helpful. Yeah. Because the, the, hopefully they will challenge you to say, okay, this is you know what you've learned or what you right. now understand about yourself. And now what are you going to do about it? Right. And what is the context? that that comes comes up in like the context is important as well, because you are, you're recognizing a tendency within a particular relationship. And it sounds like you're recognizing that there've been some, um, some relationship missteps like in your twenties, which of course there are right. Right. (laughs) You know? Um, but instead of taking that label and sitting down with it, it's really important to kind of lay it out all on the table and say like, okay, so I was looking for reassurance all the time. Okay. What was that about? Do I do that with my friends? Do I do that with family members? Where do I feel secure in my life? What does security feel like in my body? How do I know I can trust somebody? Because we blow up these symptoms and we pathologize themselves. And then of course we carry them into the next relationship because we've convinced ourselves that our whole identity is anxious attached when you could be wrong about that and, or it could be a function of the dynamic of that singular relationship or you in your twenties, you know, exactly. You with that time in your life. Exactly. Right. I remember when everyone was reading that book attached, they would come in and say, I'm anxious or I'm avoidant or whatever, you know, that was their whole thing. And I was like, okay, but did you read the whole book? Not to shame you. Right. This is, I always ask this with my college students. Like, did you, you have to tell me what you read? So I know where to start, you know? Right. Cause I, and they would say, well, no, I read, you know, the first two chapters or whatever I found my, I went skimmed through, found what I thought I was read that found a whole bunch of proof that I am. And then put the book down in the book mm-hmm. attached, which is a great resource. They talk about how you have, you almost everyone has different attachment styles in different areas of their life. 
So if you find yourself in anxious attached patterns in romantic relationships, you should look at all of the other kind of quadrants in your life. What are your relationships like with your family members? What are they like with your friends? Because a lot of people have very secure attachments with friends or family and not romantic partners or secure attachments with romantic partners, but not family or whatever. And the reason that's important is because it gives you a lot of data about what security looks like and means for you. Because the other thing we do is we look at these things from this like quasi objective viewpoint where we're like, okay, security looks like this. Anxious looks like this, right? Avoidant looks like this. Disorganized looks like this. Those are just like, it's supposed to be guidance. Here's some things you might see if this is what's happening. Here's some things you might see if this other thing is happening. Not like, this is what you are and always will be. You know? Exactly. I, yeah. I'm trying to think of the right word that, that the, that these can be, if you can think of it as a tendency instead yes, of a, totally. um, I, all I can come up with is verdict, but that's not the right word. No, like, that's a great know, word I, though. Like it's like a damnation on your character yeah. stamp. Yeah. Yeah. This is who I am. This is who I'm always going to be. And the, the, you know, this is no life is so much more layered and yeah. um, interesting than that. Totally. Also, we are shaped by everything, not just our trauma. Right. So every time you have a healing relationship, that could be like a coworker, right? That you sit next to each other and you just enjoy each other's company. And it's a super simple interaction and dynamic every day. That's healing. Exactly. That can change the way you attach to other people, right? It's not right to say that you are one thing or the other is actually to profoundly dehumanize yourself and make yourself into a thing. There is no, there, there's no, you know, neat box that we can put all of this stuff into, you know, the older you get, like the more you realize that like life is a journey and it's layered and Mm -hmm. it's, you know, who you were at one point is not necessarily who you are, you know, Mm -hmm. two years down the road, five years down the road. Yeah. Um, You know, it's, you, you can't, st- you can't grab onto a label or a diagnosis. Or, well, a diagnosis is strong, a label or, or a, a tendency and stop there. Right. Like you, you just said, you're influenced by everything around you, by every mm-hmm. relationship, by every encounter, by yeah. every experience. Yeah. It's not, you, you can't find the, the, the um, road sign and then sit down and not do anything. Right. And not live. Right. And I think it's true over you. Right. I think it's true of diagnoses, especially when it comes to mental illness, no one talks about this. And this is a place where the field of psychology is deeply broken. Those labels aren't fixed either, but nobody tells you that. Right. So if you get diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder or major depressive disorder or whatever, it's the assumption is from the patient perspective, I will have this forever. I always have, I am fundamentally broken. That's not true. You can be in remission from those things. Yeah. They can be managed and even things as, you know, quote unquote severe as schizophrenia can be managed. None of it is the end point. It's the beginning. Right. And I, I don't mean to diminish, you know, what happened to this letter writer, um, in her earlier relationships, it, it definitely sounds like they were, um, disturbing and, and not healthy. And, you know, for a lot of different reasons. And I, I don't mean to say, oh, that just happens in your twenties, or that just happens at a certain point in your life. 
that, you know, whatever happened is enough to, um, was enough to, to cause you tremendous pain. And, mm-hmm. and I'm sorry for that, you know, mm-hmm. and, but it's, but it's not a life sentence. No. And let's go back to the list. Cause we can use exactly the definition to talk about what happened. Right. And, and kind of legitimize that it is trauma, right? Like, so she said, okay, I had a string of really upsetting relationships. I was cheated on verbally abused. There were a handful of things I could call sexual assault, but I go back and forth on three things. There's some really difficult stuff in my friend group at the same time. So she had overwhelming experiences, both physical and verbal, and she had no relational home. Her friend group splintered at the same time. So many times when I went through something, I was completely alone to process it. That's trauma. That is real. Also, like, I think we have this tendency to look back on things as like when you're 30 or whatever, you look back on your twenties as if you should have known, or as if those things were small, but like, we wouldn't do that to little kids, right? When little kids are really upset about losing their stuffed animal or whatever, we don't shame them for having a strong reaction because it's the biggest thing that has happened to them at that point. Exactly. Yeah. And these are big things that happen to you. And even if you don't think they're big now, if they happen to you right now, they were the biggest things that could have happened to you then. So they're legitimate. And let's talk then about like secure attachment, right? Like what does that actually mean? What does it mean? I have no idea. (laughs) I don't know. People are secure. Like, well, so from the, like the, the attachment stuff, people are like, usually the things they use as metric are that you feel like autonomous you don't feel too reliant on your partner. You're able to connect deeply without dependence. So like you care, right? It's not, we, we, the other thing that happens is you think you have to be detached to be healthy. That's not true, right? Like you can care deeply. You should care and connect deeply, but you're able to kind of do your own thing, live your own life and not have to look to your partner for your self-worth and value. Okay. That's kind of vague on purpose because it's supposed to be like a guiding thing. What that specifically looks like for you is going to depend on who you are, what you care about, what your life looks like, whatever, what you take to be connection. You know, for some people sitting and watching shows together and connecting around that common interest is a deep connection. They don't do that with everybody and they feel that makes them feel very comfortable and they have that shared world to connect in. Other people sit down and have deep philosophical conversations. Other people focus on vulnerability and sharing emotional like content with each other. It depends. Right. But I think for you, you have to figure out what security looks like for you. And the easiest way to do that is to figure out where you're already secure. The parts of your life where you feel yeah, secure. Yeah where you feel like, oh man, I really value this person in my life in this way. And if they were gone, I would have a really hard, there would be a lot of grief there, but I know I would be okay. I don't need this person to validate me as a human. They don't need to hold on to my self-worth, right? Like older friendships, I think are a very good place to like look to for things like this, because those are people that we care deeply about, but are not dependent on. We might rely on them, but don't like, it's not like you call your fourth grade best friend to like pick a shirt for a regular work day. You know what I mean? I think it's, it's also like, you know, any of these things, like her question is how do I find a better way to understand myself? Mm-hmm. Um, and when, I don't know how to articulate this, but 
you know, how, how do you feel in certain cer- situations? Mm-hmm. It's not even like what you think about certain situations, but how do you feel in your body in those moments? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you describe those relationships and that um, feel safe or feel, you know, healing. Um, yeah. It's getting back to that, like trying to get rid of all like the, the labels and the knowledge and the comparison and all the yeah. shit that's out in the world and getting yeah. into your body in those mm-hmm. moments and mm-hmm. recognizing, Hey, you know, I, without judgment, this feels good or this feels not so good or, right. and th- that sounds so basic and silly, but right. I think we get so far away from that, mm-hmm. you know, the ability to recognize those moments or those feelings. Mm-hmm. Does that totally. make any sense? Yes, because we stop asking questions because we stuck a label on it. Right. So so if someone was going to ask you, like you could start out with like a, a a part of your life that doesn't feel as fraught, right? So everyone has a work style. What's your work yeah. style? Do you like to get up early and start right away? Or do you like to have two hours before you start to work? Do you like to focus really, really singularly for four hours? Or do you like to be doing three things at the same time? Do you like projects that are always new or do you like projects that are longer and you stick with for a long period of time? Do you like to be managed in a particular way? Like if you were trying to figure out what job to pick, all of those questions would be things you need to know in order to choose that for yourself. And so you, a lot of factors are going to come in and we are allowed to have different preferences there without pathologizing it, you know? Right. And be open to that. Those preferences will change. <laughs> right. Right. Totally. You know, what you looked for in your, insane. in your twenties is going to be totally different than your thirties. Right. What you looked for in a job pre pandemic when you didn't just work at home for, from home for a whole over a year, year and a half or whatever is going to be different than post pandemic. That's okay. People change. <laughs> exactly. And that's, it's this, that's the good part. That's the exciting part. If you can, that's the part that you can kind of hold and wonder like, wow, right. you know, I thought that this was the mm-hmm. way I needed to operate and right. it looks like it's not anymore. Right. Or it's that's not, it's cool. not working for me. And I want to, I want to be different. I, I tend to work on five different things at once. And I'd like to figure out how to work on one and focus more right. deeply. Like you, right. you would Probably. And it's funny because like, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking about all these ways we are currently pathologizing that part of our lives too. Right. Cause I haven't heard a single person talk about work lately without being like, I am ADHD and I can't focus and blah, 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 blah. Like stop with the labels and the diagnosing, just get the data, just get the information. Yeah. What works for you? What do you want for yourself? You know? And the same thing, you can do this with friendships, right? What kinds of things do you like to do with people? Does it matter if you're hanging out and sitting on the couch or you're doing activities? What do you like better? Do you value a sense of humor or depth or both? Do you want someone to ask you questions or not? Like all of these things are really important. You know, we talk a lot about how we don't know how to make friends as an adult. And I think part of it is because we don't know what we want. We're looking back at 20 and those friendships that come and looking to like repeat them in our thirties and forties and fifties and sixties, and then wondering why that's feels weird. Right. You're right. And the same thing with, with romantic relationships, what does the healthiest dynamic you can imagine look like? You have to feel like, right. What does it feel like? Right. Right. And your body and your whole nervous system, like that is part of the deal, you know? And if you tune into that stuff more, you will get more data from it. And a lot of the time, by the way, 
Like we are so singularly focused right now on this stuff. A lot of the time, by the way, the dynamic is also because of the other person. Exactly. (laughs) Who is also there with you. It's not just all, even if there is pathology going on, your attachment style is still being activated by the dynamic of the other person. Take apart the context. You know what I mean? We're so hard on ourselves. Yeah. We are choking in shame as a culture. Oh boy. That's good. It's I see, I feel it as like a, you know, there's like a strangulation. Yep. You can be traumatized as, as an adult. We need to stop comparing trauma because the part of the brain that recognizes overwhelm just sees overwhelm. Trauma is trauma is trauma is trauma. So when we shame ourselves, it's just neurobiologically a bad idea. We are malleable, which means our attachment style changes. And again, like if you're not ready to date, then you're not ready to date. Take the summer, take the year. Like that's okay. You don't have to be ready to date just because the pandemic is over <laughs> or it's I not know. over, but just <laughs> because the restaurants world. are open again. Right, right. Exactly. You know, like you don't have to, just because other people are going out on dates doesn't mean you have to. And then beyond the labels, like what to do. I think the other thing that's, that's happening here is that the person kind of got everything that they need, that they could from the self-help world and from Instagram and all that stuff. And it's time to move further. It's time to, you hit a plateau. You're not actually stuck. And the plateau, you can, you can overcome that by asking yourself a whole lot more questions, right? So how many, you know, like how many questions can write down a list of questions that you can ask yourself about what you like in a relationship, where relationships have gone wrong, what you feel like pieces are that you're responsible for, what pieces are that other people are responsible for. Like there's more there. And that's, I think a good place to start doesn't mean you're not, it's interesting, right? We hit a plateau and then we, the only place we have to go is shame. Right. I'm not healing. And, and what right about now. working with someone? What about right. like, you know, reaching, getting some help? Like if you feel stuck and, you know, find yeah. someone that can help you. Yeah, totally. And just like set the labels down for just a few weeks. Uh, yeah. It's, it's so tempting to hide behind them mm-hmm. to say that I do this because I'm this. Right. But then you become that to yourself. Right. And to anyone who's listening. Right. And again, like that, we're not bouncing to the other extreme. We're not saying that the attachment style doesn't exist. Not at all. It's that an attachment style is a style. It's a tendency, right? That can be shaped, that should be shaped to the way that you want it. You know, tendency. I love that word. It's a tendency. Yeah. We all have them. It doesn't mean that it's a, you know. No sentence. Right. So use it as validating and say to yourself, wow, you know, Oh God, I can think of relationships in my twenties where I was like attached in this way that was like, just didn't feel good. Yeah. Right. And like, that's okay. That's what that, but we were missing the point. If, if I, if I took those relationships and I said, okay, well, I'm anxious attached or I'm avoidant. Boom. That's it. That's who I am. right? Then that is who I am. And I'll bring that into every relationship. The better thing to do would be like, oh, what piece of that was uncomfortable for me? What felt like it was out of alignment with who I know myself to be outside of this relationship? And how can I, how can I check in with myself next time so that I make sure that that doesn't come up again? Cause it wasn't a good way to be in a relationship with somebody. Is it, is it too um, reductive to say that or to think that, okay, if that's my tendency, that helps to explain why I did the things I did. Totally. 
and yep. how am I going to do things differently? Yep. Right. Because I think what happens or what I'm hearing in some of this stuff is that's who I am. So I'm going to run with it and, right. you know, use it for every move that I make. Right. And right. I mean, is that the understanding that, that it should help you to kind of understand why you did the things you did? Totally. And now you should be at a point where with that understanding, you can do better. Right. Or you can do differently. Yeah, totally. And we should neutralize these, these like tendencies too. Right. So like, I'm trying to think of how to do this in language, but if you're dealing with, so this person said they were cheated on a lot. So then a lot of times what happens is you become kind of in anticipation of being cheated on again, you can tend to be jealous. Yep. Right. So you, could you say to yourself and potentially to your partner, you know, I have a hard time with X because of my experiences. You know, I have a hard time with, with trusting people because I've been cheated on a lot. I know that's not your thing and this hasn't happened in this relationship yet, but this is a thing I'm struggling with. Right. How can we work to get some security in this relationship in that way? Because I might need more reassurance than somebody else. That's all very like neutral. You know, it's not like I have to, I have to bring out my trauma story. I have to make it legitimate. I have to make you see and feel exactly how I, I felt. And then you have to, I have to shape your, your behavior around it to, to feed into this fundamental thing. Go ahead. Sorry. Right. And there should be a, um, a goal to get away from those feelings too. Right. I mean, right, right. Be, you know, it's because it, it will very quickly reach a point when you're asking someone to explain their behavior all the time, when they haven't done anything to you where that's going to get old, you know, you, the, the goal should be, okay, this is why I react the, uh, a certain way, but my reaction time should get shorter and shorter. But, and also like, forget about even the other person and what they feel. I think you're totally right. But also like, it doesn't feel good for you. It feels, yeah, you're, you're drinking your own poison. Right. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. So like being, being in an insecure situation feels bad. It feels it's unstabilized, destabilizing, right? It's like, right. That will bring up stuff in your nervous system. So that's why it's so important to connect with your body because you know, in your body, if you feel safe. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 100%. Yep. We are becoming. That's good. Yeah. 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 We are not like things. We are not, it doesn't work that way. We are subjects, not objects. Okay. Sorry. Blah, blah, blah. But I'm glad you wrote in because this is helpful to talk about, I think. Okay. Tiny little joys. Do you have one? I do. I have, um, did you watch, this is not kind of related. Did you watch Halston on uh, Netflix? No, I wanted to, but I haven't watched it yet. Okay. Watch it. It's really okay. good. Um, makes me think of this. So I love plants and flowers and I um, often buy orchids because I think they're gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and it's a way to keep a flower in your, in your home for a little while, you know, more longer than a, than a bunch of like cut flowers. But um I've never been able to get one to bloom again. You know, I, I've, I've always kind of given up on them. I cut them off at the yeah. base like you're supposed to, and then they look ugly and horrible. So I wind up throwing them away a lot of times, <laughs> but 
there was one that I cut at the base and did everything I was supposed to. And I put in the bathroom window and kind of forgot about and, Mm. you know, watered like once in a blue moon when I walked by it and thought like, Oh God, that thing's probably like, you know, so parched right now, but it's, it's blooming again. And that's never happened. And now every time, like I walk by it, I'm like, Oh wow. Like, that's so cool that, um, this thing Yay. that was once beautiful is now beautiful again. And people are right. You can get them to bloom again. And yeah. um, it happened, you know, in spite of my lack of care. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's cool. I'll, I'll send you a picture. I love orchids. I think they're so cool looking. Well, that's what you, Halston is like obsessed with orchids. Oh. So like, the orchids play a big thing in that, in that uh, series. It's really Okay. Big. I was wondering the connection. Okay. Oh, check it out. I love that. It's so hard to keep stuff alive. <laughs> it really is. And I got, I got to a point where like, I, cause I used to feel like a lot of guilt and shame if something mm-hmm. died. And now I'm at the point where I'm like, Nope, I'm just gonna throw it away and move on. Like right. give it back to the earth and go get something else. Like, yeah, it is what I'm, it is. I'm glad that this one came back. I don't need to like <laughs> beat myself up about it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Not my fault. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Or it is, but not in a way that like, I don't need to like, yeah, totally. I don't need to like shame. We don't need to shame ourselves about about this. Yeah. Every goddamn thing. (laughs) Right. Um, That's so funny. I love that. Thanks. Um, Mine is this little book I'm reading. That's um, I love Joan Didion. Oh yeah. I love her stuff. Um, And actually not the thing that everybody loves, which is the not a grief observed. thinking. Yeah. That just destroyed me. I hate that book, but <laughs> we, we read that at a bad time, but her, right. I just think her voice is so clear and crystal. And I just love her uh, being in her mind. You know what I mean? Like in reading her stuff, I just love. And so she, there's this book um, that's called, let me tell you what I mean, which is a, a list of essays that were published in different places that, that are just, you know um, what is the word I'm looking for? put together in this book. So the essays are just kind of random. The thing they have in common is that Joan Didion wrote, but I have the book like on my little kitchen table and I sit there in the morning when I drink coffee and I read one of them and I'm doing it very slowly, like on purpose, because my temptation is to read the whole damn book. But yeah, I just love that, you know, morning, little morning ritual. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Great. That's a good way to, I always like kind of shy away from like essays because I, I like to like get in deep with something, but yeah. that's a good way to do it. Like it's one little essay in the morning and that's, yeah, you don't have to do the deep dive all the time. Some of my favorite stuff by people is not their main work. Cheryl Strayed, some of her long form essays are like, will knock you over. What is that book that everyone said? I should get that book of her. Um, oh, you haven't read that? Tiny letters. Beautiful Things? Yeah, I haven't read that. I know oh that. my God. That's great. Okay. Yeah, you have to read that. That's great. She also has such a clear voice. I love that. Yeah, but yeah. that's good. I like. It. Okay, thank you for listening. Um, go visit our website. Um, you can email us at thetraumatapes at gmail dot com and find us on Instagram at traumatapes. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye.